in pretty much every case, the bracket is going to look basically exactly the same. The only difference is that, you know, somebody from, you know, the Mac or possibly the CCC or something like that will be on the board for a little while. But I don't think that really changes the dynamics of who actually gets selected, who actually gets into the field and where they play. All these people in Region 6 are all up in arms about, you know, how they'll have to battle each other to get out of their bracket. It's like, I don't think anything's going to happen any differently in terms of how teams from that part of the country get bracketed because 500 miles is still going to be the law of the land and nothing's going to change that. And it's, I don't know how many times we wind up with situations where we're trying to decide between an ASC team and a WIAC team all at the same time. I don't, I mean, true. When those scenarios pop up, they, those teams usually just rattle off in order. Right. Those are the first at large teams that are getting in, not the last ones. And it's, I don't know that that's going to change. Those teams from Region Six, they're still going to wind up having to play each other in conference. And there's, you're going to wind up with really good teams that have two or three losses and aren't going to get picked. And they're going to be, we might talk about them less in Pool C because they're going to be behind other teams that, you know, from other conferences that they haven't necessarily been paired up with in the same region before. But ultimately, your two or three losses are still one or two too many. And there we've answered all of your questions in the cold open. Now on with the show. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Greg Thomas. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in NCAA Division III football. I'm Pat Coleman, the guy in charge of D3Football.com. I'm going to say a thing about the name that you didn't hear in the open as uh, Keith McMillan's retirement, shall we say, from the podcast and maybe from the website overall is fairly more formalized than it might have been a year ago. So you heard Greg Thomas's name in the open for the first time. Greg, welcome now officially to the podcast. Thank you, Pat. It is uh, very good to be back in the studio. We're getting ready for 16 weeks of regularly scheduled Division Three football. Uh, I can't look too far ahead. 16 weeks is quite a ways out. But just like 213 other Division Three football teams this week, I am focused right now on going 1-0. We went through went through this year where we had a bunch of irregularly scheduled Division Three football. I couldn't even say that word correctly. Irregularly scheduled Division Three football. So I'm I'm super excited with the thought of having 110 games on the schedule this weekend, and you know one would think uh, a good chance of getting them all in. Obviously, there's no guarantee that that will still happen. Uh, as we're recording this here on Monday night, August 30th, we're not aware of any cancellations for this upcoming weekend, at least among current Division Three schools. University of St. Thomas, you know, whose name you won't be hearing on this podcast um, at this point going forward, but their first game as a member of a Division One FCS has already been canceled. And obviously, uh, always, always the possibility that that could happen here at the Division Three level. So, you know, a long break for football, uh, a long break for us. You know, we didn't have a, we haven't had a podcast since April. We're back. Uh, a really long break for a number of prominent programs. And again, if you are just joining us, if Podcast 283 is your first, 
you've missed a lot. You could go through the back catalog at some point over the uh, next couple of weeks and, and get caught up. I'm sure that won't take more than three or four months. Um, but, you know, to, to borrow the line from the uh, uh, old ESPN plays of the week, here's who you won't be seeing, right? You won't be seeing St. Thomas. You won't be seeing Wesley, uh, two really prominent NCAA Division three football programs who are no longer uh, in this in this realm. St. Thomas, as we mentioned, moved up. Wesley, uh, the college closed, got absorbed by Delaware State University, and not too many of those football players ended up in too many places either, uh, unfortunately, at least not that we have heard yet. Um, you know, you may have not realized quite as uh, readily, but a handful of other programs who existed maybe the last time you followed or the last time there was a championship uh, are no longer around. Um, Occidental and Maine Maritime shut their football programs down. Uh, Louisiana College and Iowa Wesleyan, they moved to the NAIA. Uh, Emory and Henry moved to NCAA Division II. Uh, and Keystone College joins us. So we have, uh, that's, a, uh, that's a lot of net losses. And Becker College, Becker College closed as well. Um, so we're down to 239, whereas for one brief shining moment, uh, Greg, we were in the uh, 250s in Division Three football. We were. We had uh, 250 strong there for a minute, um, and you know, I think we saw some some contraction coming uh, in the post-COVID era. Uh, some of that got kicked off by uh, McMurray um, at the end of the 2020 uh, academic year. They they closed their doors. Uh, we you, know, you mentioned some teams moving to NAIA. That is often a, a, a cost maneuver for schools to, um, you know, reduce the number of sports that they need to sponsor. Um, even if scholarships do come along with it, fewer sports, maybe better travel situations for those schools. Yep. So, you know, some, some contraction, I think we saw coming, hopefully we're not going to see much more uh, contraction, maybe some more expansion, more keystones coming our way, maybe. Uh, who knows, but the 239 that we have this year, we're very excited about, and we're very excited to see these teams get going, uh, Thursday night. And you'd have to think, and we've been talking about this since, you know, basically at the end of the 2019 playoffs, uh, you'd have to think that whenever the next season was, and we assumed it would be 2020. Now it's good. It's this one instead, 2021. You have to think it's about the most wide open possible season that you could possibly have. At least if you're thinking like in the purple powers era. And from that, we're going to, you know, talk from about the mid 1990s until today, you've got, you've got to have questions about, uh, Mount union, which, uh, lost in the second round and changed coaches. Uh, you've got to have thoughts about our defending national champ, you know, North Central, which, uh, you know, won the national title um, and then, you know, graduate graduated all world quarterback, uh, you know, didn't play for 16 months, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, St. John's very reliable program. We'll talk later about, you know, who they won't be seeing on the field this season. Um, it just seems like you come into the year with a whole bunch of questions about just about everybody and not as many automatics, not as many locks, or maybe there's just a bunch of teams that are all locks at just at a different level. I think so. And I, I, I think this is a year where you can convince me that more teams have a chance to win the national championship than maybe we're used to. Usually you sort of limit that conversation to three or four teams, you know, legitimate national championship contenders, uh, that's sort of the conversation that 
that we would have in the beginning of, of any year for the last 15 or 20 years. Um, this year, our preseason uh, top 25 poll at d3football.com has five different teams that have number one votes. And I think that there's a few more that you could convince me have a chance that did not receive number one votes. So um, yeah, more, more wide open than we're used to. I don't know that I would go as far as to say that we have two dozen teams that I think might win the national championship, but certainly more teams, I think, enter this season thinking, yeah, we could win five games in, in the postseason and, and win this national championship. And I think North central doing it, breaking through and winning for the first time, the last time we had a tournament sort of set the table for that. Like it, it can be done. You can get over that, that purple hump. I'm pretty sure we have never had a year where we've had, or even a poll where we've had five number one, uh, five teams receiving number one votes. And then, you know, you, you look at some of those other teams like, uh, you know, uh, lurking there, Linfield, which is a, a program that certainly has has an all-world quarterback returning, uh, has a, a program with a, a history of being able to do this thing at that sort of level. Uh, UW Oshkosh kind of sits there certainly as a possibility as someone you might think of as a dark horse in St. John's also uh, as a possibility as well. Um, but what I found was interesting, and for those of you who are listening to this podcast when it drops on Wednesday, then you saw perhaps our predictions, our 20 questions on Tuesday, in which we had almost chalk all the way across the board for who we thought would make the national semifinals, which is not unprecedented. I think it goes to show how hard it is to to convince yourself to get away from those four or five teams that we know so well um, when it's time to like make a pick. Well, we'll talk to one of those four or five here in the course of this program. Jesse Scott, the new, I hope you heard the air quotes, head coach at Wheaton. He's going to chat with us about, uh, you know, the 18 month uh, ramp up between his hire and uh, getting his team on the field this upcoming week. Uh, and we'll talk, uh, uh, we're going to do a little bit of a hybrid of this, uh, what our usual podcast is. So we have a, a semi-long form interview, and then we're going to give you our games to watch. Greg and I will each put each other on the spot. We'll pick a random game. And if you're, uh, you know, if this is uh, your first, uh, like I said, this is your first podcast this is the sort of thing we do. We, uh, we, we talk with players or coaches. We break down what happened. We preview what's about to happen. And we'll do that in one slim-ish podcast each week i guess i can't guarantee if it's slim if we're taking two podcasts which generally spanned about an hour and 40 minutes and we try to cram them into one we're gonna do our best to keep that a little bit uh, right around an hour just so you know that's a little bit about what's coming up you know also it's interesting too because you know we've uh greg we've got this situation where you know there are basically two classes in a lot of places uh incoming classes that haven't played um, and when you think about, you know, you think about 185 uh, guys at Mount Union, give or take, or 215 at Methodist, or, you know, 195 at Mary Harden Baylor, those things are not all that unusual. To have 79 football players at Beloit or 77 at Kenyon, give or take, is pretty, I mean, it's literally unprecedented that each of those schools put out posts this week that said that these are the largest uh, football rosters that they have ever fielded or that they can ever uh, that they can verify that they've ever fielded you know it's like that's 
um, there's an opportunity for some of these programs that have always struggled for numbers, right, to kind of juice and get an extra class in and try to, you know, make themselves a little bit more representative on the field, maybe, you know, have a little bit more depth and maybe have an opportunity to do something with that over the course of the next couple of years. Yeah. And really going from rosters of 45 or 50 to rosters of 70 or 80, that extra, that extra layer of players that you have makes so much difference over a 10 week schedule. Whereas teams like Kenyon and Beloit would just get worn down and eventually, you know, you're in there in the, at the end of the season, you've got guys playing out of position. If you have uh, injury trouble, which, you know, I mean, football injuries are going to happen to every team. Um, but those teams now they've got an opportunity to have an extra layer of depth, maybe maintain a little bit of their competitive edge a little deeper into the season. And you hope that that is a thing that uh, helps them be more competitive this season and will help them sustain those kinds of roster numbers uh, going forward. Now is the time of the podcast where we like to thank our sponsors, the people who help keep this podcast going, help have helped keep the d3sports.com website and network going and that's our patreon subscribers especially i feel like uh when i'm talking about what our patreon subscribers have done uh to help us get through the past year or so especially the past eight months um, we would not be where we are today which is to say the two of us still sitting here recording a podcast and having a website if not for those donations because when the football season went away last fall the football season is a big deal for keeping the websites operational. If you know anything about, say, online shopping or shopping in general, what you probably know is that the last three months of the year, people do a whole heck of a lot of it. And that means that, you know, there's just lots of those online banner ads and box ads uh, that are there for websites like ours to display. Please don't block the ads, thank you, because we don't get paid if you don't uh, let them display on your page. We're not sending you a bunch of pop-ups. Please just uh, allow ads to display on D3 football, D3 hoops, D3 baseball, etc. And because football is such a big deal, and because uh, the D3football.com website drives a, a lot of traffic in a normal year, usually we make enough in October, November, December to really fund almost everything else that we do uh, around here. The entire football season, a good amount of the basketball season. Don't tell Jim Dixon, but a lot of baseball, too, uh, is funded because of what happens on, uh, on, on football Saturdays in November and December. We missed that. But you guys, the listeners, the fans of D3Football and D3Sports.com really came up big. And if not for that, we would not be here where we are today. So thank you once again for doing all that and making this thing possible. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say that maybe we would not be able to spin this up again in 2021 without the support of those Patreon uh, subscribers. So thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers, uh, people tuning in for, for the first time. Maybe you're new to D3Football.com. Uh, check out our links for uh, Patreon subscriptions and, and help, help, keep the, help keep the ball rolling here. Keep it rolling, keep it bouncing, but generally bouncing in the in the correct direction. You can go to patreon.com slash d3sports. That's Patreon. It's like patron with an E, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.
now in the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, joined by Jesse Scott, the new head coach at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois, uh, new as in about to uh, coach his team on the field for the first time, but uh, having been in the job for more than a year and a half, uh, Coach, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, it's great to be with you this morning, Pat. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously you're not new to the program, right? You're a, you're a grad, you were an assistant under Mike Swider for a long time, um, but it, you have been the head coach now for quite some time and haven't had a, a game to coach. What's that been like, you know, just uh, having this really long transition? Yeah, I, I think that um, COVID has kind of hit Wheaton football in a lot of the same ways that it's hit everything else. It's been a major disruption to the script that we had prepared for ourselves and what we were hoping to accomplish in the 2020 fall and beyond. But we're really excited to be at this point and to have some some serious normalcy back to our approach this fall and be ready to beat this upcoming Saturday. What was it like? I mean, what was it like for you guys in the spring? Obviously, it came out, it was decided pretty early that you guys were not going to compete in a traditional game sense and you weren't going to participate in the schedule that the CCIW set up. But what did you guys end up doing? Yeah, so we practiced about 30 times through the course of last year between the fall and the spring. So we were on the field for a total of about six weeks between March towards the end of April. Um, and we were able to get a lot accomplished. We had a, a lot of young guys who are going to be on the field quite a bit for us this upcoming year who were able to get a lot of meaningful development and experience through the course of that spring season. And like, did you have a bunch of your guys on campus or there were a bunch of people who, you know, uh, set out to save money or how did that work out? Yeah, we, we a little bit of both. It depended a lot on exactly the scenario that uh, a player was in. There were quite a few guys that had two semesters remaining that knew that they wanted to play this upcoming fall. And so some elected to be gone in the fall semester and return in the spring semester so that they could practice with us and be with this specific team as we head into uh, this season. And we had guys who chose to do the opposite, who were around for the past fall, who were not on campus in the spring, but who have returned to be here for this fall. So a lot of that depended on the academic standing of our players and exactly what was required of for them to be on track to graduate. And those who were really far ahead took a semester off. And the majority of our younger players were here for the entirety of the past year. I definitely want to talk uh, a bit about your defense coming up in a minute, because uh you know, they've got a, a bunch of guys back. Uh, the front seven looks amazing. But I also just want to, I think, point out, if I'm remembering correctly, and sometimes, you know, having had a year and a half off, some of, some of the stuff is not real solid in my brain either. But did you guys basically run out the clock on, like, Luke Anthony being injured and stuff like that, right? Is it the guy who, or is it Spencer Peterson is the guy who got hurt and was playing basketball? I'm These are the, the two quarterbacks I'm getting confused. Yep. So Luke, Luke and Spencer are both back. Spencer has moved to the tight end position group for us. So he's been there this fall. And, and Luke is returning as a, a starting quarterback for us this upcoming fall. And Spencer's the guy who was who was uh, who was hurt, right? Correct. So Spencer had torn his ACL in the little brass bell game on October 5th of 2019 and is back and is really excited and in great shape and going to be competing. But as a tight end for us this year. Oh, yeah, that's basically almost two full years ago, isn't it? It is. Yep. You guys had to kind of sit on the way that game uh, in the quarterfinals against St. John's ended for quite some time. Um, and I know this is this may seem like old news to to you guys, but how did that you know how that kind of sit with you guys, and you know how did the guys take it and that sort of thing? 
Yeah, we'll be 637 days on Saturday. So that's been something that we've talked about in our, our program a lot less about a fixation on St. John's and the way that the quarterfinals wrapped up um, than just about how long it's been since we've been on the field and, and competing. But uh, looking back on it at this point, we, we've tried to, to mine that game for lessons that we can learn as a program in order to be prepared for this upcoming upcoming opportunity. Um, obviously, we're, we're excited about the opportunity to be back out on the field. And I think that the challenge for a team anytime that you start to make it run into the playoffs is when the next year rolls around, we need to focus on being one and no. We need to focus on winning the play that's right in front of us. We need to focus on being perfect one second at a time and not thinking about uh, what could occur later on in the season. So we're, we're bringing the attention of this team to this moment right now, but it has been a long time uh, since that game. It's really a, a season where a lot of things kind of get reset, right? I mean, so, I mean, uh, Mount Union, uh, they lost in the second round again practically two years ago, uh, lost a bunch of their guys, changed head coaches. Uh, North Central, your guys' big rival in the CCIW and now nationally, let's be honest, um, you know, graduated a bunch of guys. They are the defending national champs from 600-some days ago, uh, but haven't uh, been on the field uh, yet either. St. John's uh, graduated a ton of people. You guys bring a bunch of guys back. And if you look at, um, you know, just uh, talking about that defense for a second, um, you know, people, if you haven't, if, if people don't remember... Uh, you know, names like uh, Dallas McRae and Jake Holiday up front are, are big guys for you. Uh, and that sort of thing is like that front four is looking to be pretty impressive once again and maybe doesn't reset. Yeah, well, we're really excited about the, the front seven that we're going to have on defense. Our entire first and second level for all practical purposes returns. Um, Dallas was a, a guy who, for example, was one of our is one of our sixth year seniors. We have several of those. We have six of them on our team this year. Somebody who was in a situation where they'd already decided that in 2020 they were going to return for year number five. Um, and it took some of those guys a while to figure out exactly that I'm going to be back for this 2021 season. There's a lot of logistics that went into that. Some of those guys were holding on to two credit hours for the fall of 2020 and <laughs> were elected to complete those at that point in time. And yeah enroll in grad school or hold on to those two credit hours for a full year and have worked in the meantime. So there's a, a lot of different things that brought them back to the point where they're competing on the field this year. Daniel Herber is another guy who will be a six year for us, our starting Sam who had torn his ACL in halfway through 2019. Um, but the, the, the path, for Wheaton football and the continuity that those guys bring to our defensive front is, is outstanding. Um, they look really good through the course of training camp. They've brought it every single day. And there's an appointed sense of, of focus from that group every single day we are out on the field. And they're excited about being back at it. So I would never ask you to publicly look ahead to another game on the schedule because you guys have a game against Northwestern coming up at home here on a Saturday afternoon. But what's it like having, you know, that uh, the little brass bell game? And frankly, even if it were just the rivalry game and not all of the other things that, uh, you know, are now being heaped on this game, being between two top five teams, et cetera. What's it like having that, you know, as the next game on the schedule coming up in week three? Yeah, we're, we're, we're really excited to play this season, Pat, and, and uh, we've got an opportunity. We've realized in a different way over the course of the past two years just how precious every one of these opportunities is. So this Saturday is going to be a precious opportunity. 
September 18th is going to be a precious opportunity. September 25th, every one of these opportunities is precious to our players in a way that I don't think any of us appreciated in 2019 the same way that we do now. So we're excited to get, get out on the field and compete every Saturday this fall. And that sounds like something that I think would be kind of particularly poignant for an institution like Wheaton, right? I mean, it seems like, you know, and not to say that, you know, I think like every Division three football program especially kind of has that little family aspect to it, but I would have to think that just maybe just based on the nature of the institution, it might be more so at Wheaton. Yeah, no doubt. If you look up and down our roster and you, again, just kind of learn of all of the anecdotes that went into place for this year to transpire the way we're, we're hoping it does from a, a roster pers- or the way that it is from a roster perspective, you realize that it, it is in part the football that occurs on the Saturday afternoon that has drawn all these guys to be here for this, this fall, but it's so much bigger than that. This is a, a group of guys that is bounded first and foremost by a shared love for Jesus and a desire to grow in that part of their life. And that's an enormous contributor to why, a six-year senior who's 24 years old puts life on hold for 12 months in order to return, or a fifth year does effectively the same thing. Our oldest player is 26 years old, Burt McJunkin, a tight end for us who's in grad school, who put grad school on hold in order to be a part of this season and this team. Wow. Uh, and that, it just speaks volumes about exactly why uh, our players find we in football to be so special. And like I said, it, it is the football, but it is so much bigger than that. When you look at the scope of what we in football stands for. Any advice from coach Swider? How's coach Swider doing? What do you hear from him? Coach Swire is doing well. We're going to, we have a celebration for him this upcoming Saturday at halftime. So there'll be a, a public recognition and a celebration of his career here. There's going to be an uh, alumni get together for all Wheaton football alums coming up in October. So we're excited to finally be able to have some of those big events. We had had those scheduled much earlier, but had to put those on hold. Um, Coach Swider is doing well and he'll be excited to watch us compete this weekend. You know, what really stands out uh, to me from uh, Jesse Scott's interview there is the intersection of how Wheaton's 2019 playoff run ended and the number of fifth and sixth year players that they have back. Uh, That is a squad that has to feel and pretty rightfully so if we're being honest that they have unfinished business with the postseason. Um, I've got to believe that has a lot to do with the number of those players that they have coming back for those fifth and sixth seasons. And it's a big reason why they you know, managed to get uh, some top votes in our top in our top 25. Yeah, I mean, what you described sounds pretty similar to what I saw when I looked at them, which is, to be honest, why I am voting Wheaton number one right now in my D3Football.com top 25 ballot. Breaking news. While, while we're sharing, um, I also voted Wheaton number one in my top 25. Uh, we did not consult each other. Um, that happens. So that's two of the four. There are two more of us out there. Somewhere. Two more crazy people, but I don't think it's that crazy, right? I mean, these are these are veteran guys. Uh, they, they brought back a lot of pieces. Uh, you know, um, like we said, you know, key guys got hurt and have had a whole effing year to recover, right? Um, I really think that just, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's guys up front on both sides of the ball. Uh, seven starters back from 2019. On offense for Wheaton, and we talked about all those uh, guys up front on defense, uh, but seven guys overall back uh, as starters on defense as well. I just really feel like they're a program that uh, you know has an opportunity to hit the ground running. And I, I say this, you know, even though 
you know, they lost Mike Swider, a longtime head coach, won more than 200 career games as the head coach of his alma mater. And yet I, I still feel like this is I've never voted Wheaton number one before. Um, I would think if you went back through my ballots, you would see a whole lot of Mount Union, a lot of Whitewater, a lot of Mary Harden Baylor, uh, an occasional St. John's or a Linfield. And I'm pretty sure that I've never voted for uh, Wheaton number one. Yeah, and I think I I think Wheaton certainly has has the guys. They have the players to do this. Um, you know, they have the 2019 Defensive Player of the Year returning part of that incredible front seven that you mentioned. Like, I they have the talent, and they have uh, also if you go back to 2019, they they beat the national champions that year. They were right. the only team that that beat North Central, so they are good enough to beat a national championship team. And over the years, Wheaton has had so many bites at the apple. You know, they've 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 lost to Whitewater in the playoffs and they've lost to Mount Union in the playoffs. And they have, you know, they they play North Central every year in this rivalry game. They've lost to Mary Harden Baylor. And at one of these times, they're gonna get over it. And, you know, they it seems that they have the kind of roster this year. They have the 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 drive, the motivation that 2019 ending um, is going to serve as a real a real motivating factor for them and you know they just saw they just saw north central do a similar thing after so many years getting close playing those top teams really close they finally you know they they cleared the mountain union hurdle and then and then rolled the rest of the way really to the, to the national championship and so you know wheaton could very well follow a similar script uh this season and I think what what's different to me from 2019 compared to some of those other previous runs is like, you know, so they have not gotten over the Mary Harden Baylor hump. Right. Um, in 2016, they lost by they lost by three touchdowns, 38 to 16. You know, they've, they've played Mount Union um, and it's you know, they've been games against Mount Union. Right. I, we go far, far back into the archives to see in 2003 they went uh, 12 and one with the loss at Mount Union in the quarterfinals, 56 to 10. Right, those games were not close. The game against St. John's, which, by you know every standard, was you know a, a national title contender, as close as could possibly be, all the way down to uh, a guy making a mistake by spiking a ball in uh, in celebration, and then getting uh, getting flagged for it as you do. You know, and then and then St. John's went and played super tough at Whitewater, and you know Whitewater struggled against North Central, but Wheaton, as we go back and through that triangle, right? Wheaton beat North Central earlier in the season. I really feel like this is this Wheaton program that's been on the doorstep last year is different than the Wheaton programs that were on the doorstep in previous years, just because they're much closer to that, uh, much closer to getting the door in the door. time for our games to watch and for my game i'm going to pick the one that i've been looking forward to basically since the moment the last meeting ended or maybe even about halftime of that game that's aurora at st john's so time basically ran out on the spartans in their first round meeting at st john's in november of 2019 and this time it's aurora at a really an underrated number 23 they're a good number spots higher on my ballot they're headed up to play at the number six johnnies who are basically don't really resemble that team very much, which survived to win 51-47 the last time around. You know, you remember that game, right? 
lots and lots of things happen, but uh, you come down to Jackson Erdman driving his team 56 yards for a go-ahead touchdown with a minute 49 left in the game, and Gavin Zimbelman bringing his team back to the Johnny's 22 without the benefit of a timeout before the game ended. One of those two quarterbacks is back. It's not Jackson Erdman. St. John's only brings back a few starters on each side of the ball, uh, just one offensive lineman. And meanwhile, Aurora got to play three actual games this past spring. Now, all of that is to say that this should be a great matchup worthy of a much closer ranking than 23 and 6. I look forward to seeing it. What I am not saying, just note, what I am not saying specifically is that these rankings should be reversed or in any of that uh, stretch of the imagination. There's just something about... There's something about St. John's, something magic, something, something, just dub that in there, something about Johnny Magic. I feel that this is going to be a really well-contested contest, and I know that everybody at St. John's knows that this is going to be an even bigger challenge than it was the last time around. It is. You know, that game, Pat, was so long ago that St. John's at the time had a player who is now an NFL veteran. Oh, and that was before everybody learned about the protein shakes and Ben Barch got drafted and played a bunch of games down the stretch, a bunch of key snaps, as many key snaps as you can have as a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars last year. Uh, he played them. So that's that's a that's a that's a crazy good point. He did. And, you know, Aurora needs to be careful there to not have that be a trap game because they have North Central coming up the next week wild, wild scheduling by Don Beebe there. Don Beebe! So game of the week, and I can only pick one. I am going to go with number 19, Washington and Jefferson at number 11, John Carroll. Uh, Both of these teams are playoff regulars, but a week one loss by either of these sides uh, will really ratchet the pressure up on them in the last uh, nine games. Uh, John Carroll has to navigate games in their conference with Mount Union, Heidelberg, who looked really good in the spring, uh, an increasingly pesky Marietta team that gives people fits in the OAC uh, over recent years. Uh, so a lot of landmines there for John Carroll to navigate in the OAC. W and J, they've got a tough PAC conference to deal with. They're going to have games against Westminster, who beat them for the PAC title in April. Uh, Case Western Reserve did not play in the spring, but they're back, and they're going to be uh, formidable as well. And they've got Carnegie Mellon in their conference uh, and Carnegie Mellon is a team that's going to be playing with a little bit of extra this year in uh, head coach Rich Lackner's final season uh, with the Tartans. So you don't get a lot of must-win games in week one, but this game uh, very might be a must-win game for these teams if they intend to play after week 11. And typically we would do four or five games to watch. Uh, obviously this is a week where you know, we're like I said, we're slimming this podcast down. If we brought in Frank Rossi, he would probably say something about, you know, uh, Mount Union at Westminster, something like that. And if we were to bring in Adam Turr, I'm going to guess, you know, maybe there would be some conversation about, I don't know, UW Oshkosh at Huntingdon is uh, looking to be an interesting game. You know, Monmouth at Wartburg has been a, a great game in the past. It's not to say that those are the only two games that we're watching. There are 110 games. We're watching a bunch of them, and we'll talk about a few more here in just a moment. When I put Greg on the spot. All right, so on the spot is basically, it's kind of this little improv game that Keith and I used to play, for lack of a better term. Keith did improv in college, and I 
love watching improv and I'm sure I'm not capable of doing it. But basically, we're gonna we're making up a, a game or a contest on the spot and you're gonna have to pick games. Sound good? Yes. This is not terrifying at all. Let's go. Alright. Here's what I'm asking of you. Greg, I need you to pick winners in three games, and these games must feature teams from more than one region away. So not only is it not games within region two, but it can't be, you know, region two against region three or region two against region one, right? So you might have a game that's close by, but could be region two versus region four. Perfectly acceptable. Also perfectly acceptable, like region three versus region six. And now I've stalled long enough for you to start. All right, so I am going to start with uh, UW Oshkosh, a Region 6 team. They are going uh, all the way down to Alabama to play the Huntington Hawks, and I will pick UW Oshkosh to win that game. So which region are the Huntington Hawks in? That's going to be Region 3, Pat. All right, very good. (laughs) Okay, so UW Oshkosh from Region 6 over Huntington from region three yes that's one there's some good stuff on here it's uh you know it, it's an interesting it's an interesting week assuming all these games get played it is and i'm gonna go with uh my next one i'm oh where did it go i had it there's a lot of editing involved in on the spot just fyi people Are you saying that the the one you did where you hopped across the the whole map picking winners? No, that wasn't one take. I actually think hopping across the coast to coast with uh, was one take. I was on fire that night. I had to pick like 12 games to go progressively west to east or something like that. That is my jam, man. I am all about the stupid little things on the map. So my next one, I'm going to be Carnegie Mellon who we just spoke about is going all the way up to the Pacific Northwest to play Whitworth. And I will pick Whitworth to beat Carnegie Mellon, but I think that's going to be closer than, than people might think. I kind of figured Whitworth Carnegie Mellon was going to be one of the, uh, one of the three. That's a, that's a great looking game and one that's definitely deserved to be talked about. Ooh, that is a uh, Friday night game as well. All right. So I'm going to go with region two Cortland. Cortland is going to play at Wittenberg this weekend. Uh, Wittenberg is out of region four. I will pick the homestanding Wittenberg Tigers to win that game. Um, But that is an interesting game because you don't see a lot of E8 NCAC uh, crossover. That's for sure. All right. So to wrap up, Oshkosh over Huntington, uh, Whitworth over Carnegie Mellon and Wittenberg over Cortland State or SUNY Cortland. Yes. All right. All right. Turnabout is fair play or something like that. What you got for me? All right. I am going to put you on the spot, Pat. And for for you, I want you to pick two teams that are switching conferences that are in playing in brand new conferences this year that are going to win in week one. Okay. Two teams switching conferences that are going to win in week one. All right. I'm just going to start kind of cruising through the schedule here. 
team switching conferences. What's Southern Virginia doing? I get Wilmington. Weird. No, I don't think so. Finlandia. Really interesting matchups this week. There's some stuff that you just don't really see. St. Norbert. What's St. Norbert doing? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, one of them for sure. I'm gonna take is uh, the St. Norbert Loris game. This for all of you. Catholic nuts. This is a great game between Catholic schools in uh, from uh, Green Bay in Dubuque, and St. Norbert is moving from the Midwest Conference to the NAC. Northern Athletics Collegiate Conference. I'm going to take St. Norbert over Loris for one of my two games. And for my other one, I think I'm going to stay in the Midwest, actually. Um, and I am going to take McAllister, which is returning to the MIAC, in football, where they have been in everything else, and they had been in the MIAC for football in 1999 and 2000, and many years before that. Uh, they're returning to the conference. They're opening up with Minnesota Morris on Saturday night, and I think that's a, a pretty safe pick for me. I'm going to take McAllister as my second winner uh, in this over Morris, and I'm going to not touch St. Scholastica and Sewanee, although that's a very interesting game to me. I'm definitely not touching Austin College and Hendricks, although those are two of the last two Division Three football teams I saw in person. And the other one I'm not going to touch is uh, Southern Virginia at Wilmington because I don't uh, I don't feel that's a, a good opportunity for me to pick up a W. Wilmington was Wilmington had a four-game winning streak. I mean, I understand they were against the same two teams but uh, and 16 months apart or whatever, but uh, Wilmington, Wilmington is Wilmington is out of the depths of that uh, where that program has been and i think they're going to be respectable certainly against southern virginia 110 sided die we pick one random game and then we preview that game here you know literally just spinning it out of nothing right here in the middle of this conversation we come up with a rivalry trophy for it as well so we have landed on the number 25 and hey we're going to land on the keystone wilkes game and so i think what uh you know, how this ga how this has usually gone in the past, Greg, is uh, the other person, uh, previously Keith, has previewed the game, and then I've come up with the uh, the rivalry trophy while uh, while that's going on. Um, I don't know how feasible that is for a, a you know talking about a team that essentially has not really played a game before in Keystone, but it's interesting, right? This is a game between two schools that are not that far apart in northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, you know, Keystone, uh, obviously very new to Division Three football, and they're going to be starting off at a, uh, you know, uh, at, a, at a level that they're going to, you know, they're going to struggle to reach here, I think, right? Um, this is uh, this is not the is not the way you want to start a program. I mean, if ideally, if you were going to pick someone out of the MAC that you were going to start off against, maybe it was going to be Alvernia or someone who's only had a program for a couple of years. Um, but uh, going to Wilkes, while the bus ride will be short, uh, I don't know how competitive Keystone is going to be in that game. It's just going to be good for them to get out on the field, right? They were supposed to play last year. Uh, they had some games scheduled, and I, they may have actually competed in some of them. I don't even remember. Um, but here, getting the opportunity to actually play in a Division Three football game, the first of their four non-conference games before they get into ECFC play. And so I have strung out this long enough hopefully that you have come up with the great of all the possibilities in 
you know, northeastern Pennsylvania lore to come up with the rivalry trophy for this game? Well, the winner of this game will take home with them the Wilkstone trophy. Wilkstone, it's the Wilkstone. It's a brand new D3 rivalry. Nearby Northeast PA, it's a new team making history. The Giants playing their first real game. Colonels can't exactly say the same. Playing for the Wilkstone, it's as if they're brand new rivals. Don't call us rivals. It's time to just play ball. It's got to be made out of coal or something like that, right? Yes, it will definitely be very blue collar, you know, something that came from the earth. Uh, Keystone, you know, very first game. This is very exciting for them. You only get one first game in program history, so this is very cool. And their their first four games, like you said, are against programs that, you know, are probably uh, out out of their reach right now. But, you know, it will be a, a nice, uh, you know, they'll get – They'll get tested going into ECFC play, and we'll see what they learn from and improve from in these games uh, before getting into ECFC, where where there may be some winnable games for them. And so if you're Keystone, you know, in order to get to Wilkes, you're going to wind down US-11, and you're going to pick up I-81 and follow it, um, and then you get off uh, and obviously wind your way into campus and get to uh, Wilkes University. So that's a 41-minute trip by bus and yeah welcome to ncaa division three football we rolled number 25 and that was our random game of the week your categories have become tiresome now's the time on sprockets where we dance now's the time of the podcast where we go to twitter we asked you to send us tweets and you did in significant numbers it's like when people come back to division three football all of a sudden People are very interested in asking questions. Look at these questions. Jim Catanzaro, for example, asks, should voters or NCAA selection committee, and he notes he's no longer on it, consider losses where a team lost players for COVID reasons but were undefeated otherwise differently than normal losses? If so, how will they know? Hashtag D3FB. Yeah, I think that's that, that last sentence is the really quick answer there. I don't even know how you know, and I don't know how you get to, uh, how, how you get to uh, register those games any differently so that's very interesting but i'm not even sure there's more to say are teams intending on reporting their their covid statistics i'm gonna doubt it we may see some games that don't get played this season and you know maybe what maybe what coach cat is is asking is if a team only plays eight or nine games and they miss maybe a really key piece of the puzzle for them because of a covid cancellation do you Count that against them or not? I think you can only you can only count what actually happened on the field. You certainly can't uh, project something from a game that got canceled. And I know that like the basketball committee, if they were had 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 to make selections last year, or I guess gotten the opportunity to make selections, I think they really wanted to, um, would have had to have some of those decisions as well. And conferences will have to decide. You know, we'll have to have tiebreakers set in place. Really, really, really good tiebreakers. Looking at you, USA South. Yep, looking at you. Really good tiebreakers so that when you've got an automatic bid on the line and maybe not all of those games got played, that you've got a good way to handle that. 
Um, those are going to be the big questions, I think, to, to look at as well. Here's one from Michelle Sassy Mess, which is at Ash M-I-C-G, asking, with uh, St. Thomas getting kicked out of the MIAC, will it hurt the chances of the MIAC having two teams representing the playoffs? Yes. But also, I think also the schedule, the way they set up the schedule is a bit of a problem as well. Um, if you're looking at the way that, uh, you know, you've got your, you've kind of got your Metro division and your outstate division. I know they call them two different things than that. Um, but you've got uh, Bethel and St. John's playing each other in the regular season. And then, you know, if you think about a, a logical way in which the season might end, you might end with a second Bethel St. John's game. And, you know, these two teams having to play each other potentially twice really kind of um, is going to probably knock one of them out of at-large consideration. This is going to be a spot where someone's going to pick up a second loss or two teams are going to have one loss that uh, they shouldn't necessarily both have. If that makes sense, I've painted myself into a corner, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say. I do. I think this is this is one of those cases where I think a championship game might might hurt you. Um, where you that extra opportunity to play a really good team in the very last week of the season might be the result that knocks Bethel or St. John's out. Um, you know, on on the one hand, you don't have that extra really great team in the in the conference with St. Thomas, and so you don't have that opportunity to get another ranked win and boost your strength of schedule and all of the things that St. Thomas helped other teams in that conference do, but you also don't have to play one other great team. And so St. John's and Bethel might be sort of head and shoulders above the rest of the league. And if they didn't have to play each other twice, you know, you may, you may have played yourself out of a situation where you have an undefeated conference champion in a regular round Robin and a one loss runner up, which would have a good chance, a second loss, uh, a second loss there uh, is probably difficult. I mean, you know, there's only what five five pool C teams. We're gonna have to do that math. But yeah, I think I think we're still at five. Yeah, and they're in and they're in the dreaded region six. So you know, a second loss there is you know double whammy. There's one more question we'll take. Uh, it's from Antion Cuff at CuffyCakes28 asking, what are your thoughts on quite a few Region 1 and 2 teams only playing nine games or less? Could there have been mutual interest to play? Is there still time? Well, I think we learned uh, from last year that there's still time to to do things, right? I mean, teams put together stuff uh, on, a, on you know, a couple of days' notice during the COVID year to try to just uh, get things taken care of. Now, as I look through the schedules, uh, what I see right now is in our database, I see 42 teams listed with nine games, but 10 of them are NESCAC and they are not, uh, those, those teams don't play in the, uh, in the postseason. They do not accept NCA bids. Um, that may be new to some of you people. Um, we should be thankful for that because otherwise we would have only four at-large bids and it would be really, really tight. Um, a number of these teams that are listed with nine games are MIAC teams because uh, the 10th game isn't on the schedule yet. Um, and I actually don't see a ton of these uh, kind of things in that part of the country. One of the things, though, that has made this um, a possibility or an issue is you know, the NJAC has lost a bunch of teams over the course of the last several years, not just Wesley, but, you know, you go back to Frostburg State moving to Division Two, 
Southern Virginia leaving to go to the ODAC and then later to the USA South. Um, you know, there's there's uh, it, it's getting harder for them to fill games. And I, I think there's probably some of that going on. Rowan is one of the teams with nine games. Salisbury is a team with nine games. Um, so those are two prominent teams um, or teams in, uh, you know, one of the stronger conferences. Misericordia was ostensibly a playoff contender for a couple of years. They're sitting with nine games. Uh, it's kind of hard to wrap that uh, that scheduling around, right? I mean, you know, you're at, at this rate, you know, your open dates have to line up. Conference play makes that impossible in a lot of cases. But in an instance where... You know, Alvernia with nine games or Anna Maria with nine games loses one at the same time. Like somebody uh, has to cancel because of COVID and two teams become available. I think we might still see some of that this year, but uh, we saw a lot of it in the spring um, and, you know, maybe even a very small amount of it last fall. But uh, I don't know that uh, I don't know. I don't expect that to be a big part of this season. I got my fingers crossed, uh, but I hope I'm correct. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that we're going to see a lot of uh, ad hoc scheduling, as it were, uh, either this fall. Uh, we're not going to see a lot of ad hoc scheduling this fall. Um, I think scheduling for some teams this year is. I mean, I think we're we're still we're still dealing with with COVID. You know, so there may be teams that don't do a tenth game because they don't want to travel. Maybe they can't travel for an extra game. Yeah. Um, I talked to a basketball coach today that said his team was not allowed to play anybody that was not fully vaccinated, for example. There's a lot of things that go into scheduling. It's not just having two dates open uh, that are the same. Uh, it's not just having a willingness to meet on the field. Sometimes there are institutional issues. Sometimes, you know, schools are not uh, allowed to host by their institution because of you know, university or college, you know, break, spring break, not spring break, but, uh, you know, a fall break or something like that might prevent you from hosting as well. It's not just as simple as team X and team Y are both off on in week four. So let's make sure that they play. Right. And I know in the last football season, there was that really incredible game that came together at the very last minute with BYU and coastal Carolina. They both wound up with an open date and they just got together and BYU flew out to North Carolina and played a game and, you know, division three teams just really don't have the resources to be that flexible with stuff. You know, it's not even about flying across the country on short notice. It's just the economies of scale there are so, so incredibly different that scheduling ad hoc that way, unless you're scheduling really close or within, you know, within your own conference, you, I mean, you know, you may not even be able to get buses to go, hundred miles on a short notice, you know, it would have to be something that you could transport yourself almost. Um, so I don't see a lot of that. And hopefully we don't, why we hopefully don't, we don't find ourselves in a situation where a lot of teams have those kinds of open dates where, where they need to fill with other teams that maybe also got, uh, got a game postponed or canceled. And if you want to ask us a question on Twitter, of course, you can do that anytime by reaching out, uh, tagging us at D3Football using the D or using the D3FB hashtag. But to get it on the show, watch for us to put out the uh, the bat signal, as it were. Now it will basically be on Sundays the entire rest of the season. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 283, released on September 1st, 2021. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on our continuing coverage throughout the season. Yes, a normal season. 
We hope you can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, a classmate, uh, a fellow alumnus, other parents, if you're a parent of a player, tell us, tell them about the show, tell them about the website. And of course, you can also rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. I assume I'm not the first person to tell you how that works. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter. As I mentioned, using the D3FB hashtag, I am at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. And if you want to wish Keith well, we welcome that. You can always uh, tweet at him at, at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more of his tracks as well. You can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to Jesse Scott at Wheaton as well as uh, Wheaton Sports Information Director Brett Marhenka. Can't say enough about the job he did to help us uh, get connected on a very quick turnaround. And thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host, and to the originator of Around the Nation on d3football.com, Keith McMillan. We will be here. You guys have helped uh, make sure that that's going to happen. We will be here now through this whole 16-week 2021 Division Three football season. So keep an eye on d3football.com, and you can find a new podcast from us every week. But just once. Just once. Just once a week. Because that was insane. I don't know how we did that. I really don't know how we did that. I slept in this chair, I'm pretty sure. power through it pat it was you know rules about how how long uh we can practice football have been um updated over time i think you in the in the two podcasts a week era you were doing like two a days um pads from the get-go all of that (laughs) full contact from day one um and now it's more about you know preservation and health and and Winning with nose, right? Exactly. Winning with nose, staying healthy to put the best product out there, perform the best on Saturday or Sunday, as the case may be, when the studio lights come on. You got all the way through the end. That was pretty good. I liked that. That's going to go in. That'll stay in. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.